0: This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. This is where I would usually say Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew. But we reached the end of the Gospel of Matthew last week. So this is a huge milestone, the product of God's boundless grace and countless hours of study and preparation by Pastor Pierre. So rather than just rush on to the next book of the Bible, we thought it would be good to pause a bit and savor the moment. Today, we'll look back on the many highlights of the Gospel of Matthew and talk a bit about what God taught us through this study. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's join Pastor Pierre and talk about this sermon series. Pastor Pierre, thanks for joining me today as we wrap up the Gospel of Matthew series. You and I agreed it was worth the time to reminisce a bit and remember the journey of studying this book of the Bible. So let me begin by asking you this question. You started preaching through the book of Matthew on December 15th, 2019. Now, 132 messages, and a little over three years later, you've just preached your final message from Matthew. Obviously, you took breaks for various special occasions and holidays, and we have a tradition here of inserting a summer series each year to break things up. So it's more like two and a half years of total preaching from one book, did you think it would take that long to
1: get through the entire gospel? No, I really didn't. My intent in the beginning was to take the book verse by verse, obviously, and see what Scripture has to say and let Scripture do all the teaching. And we would just highlight what Scripture has to say. And I did my best to frame my sermons according to the natural divisions of the book. And it's it was a wonderful journey, really, to go through the first gospel, foundational, really, in the Christian faith, and spend three years studying, or two and a half years, studying the life of Christ. Man, that doesn't get any better than this, and taking the congregation through the life of Christ, learning more about Him, discovering more about His character, His nature, His words. One thing I realized or found out early in the study of the gospel of Matthew is that the book alternates between the, the words of Christ and the works of Christ. So I did my best to sort of divide up the entire series based on on those natural divisions and what what a joy it was. And man, uh, we weren't in a hurry, so it's not like we had a, a deadline. Um, and just taking the congregation through the book, it was also a, a lesson for all of us as a congregation as a church to learn to take our time and not rush through through the bible and what's the value of taking so much time in one book of the bible that can make some people very anxious there there's a there's a time for the birds eye view where you read the book in one sitting you like large books of the bible read through it in one sitting to get the major themes But there are other times where you really want to go and take the warms eye view, where you take your time, you read verse by verse, sentence by sentence, and see what those connections are and uh, look at the context, look at the other Gospels to see the harmony of the story. That's another thing we did, too, is I went to the other Gospels to make sure I get the timeline right, even though the Gospel of Matthew is not necessarily chronological. So I had to go to the other gospels to get situated contextually. And it was such a joy of discovery for me. And I figured if I was having such a great time, the congregation would too. Now, if I'm bored, then the congregation will feel the same. So I hope the the church also was encouraged uh, because there's so much there, so much to to discuss, so much to talk about. And maybe if I do this again, if the Lord allows me to do this again, maybe it will take five years. Tell me how you made sense
0: of the book of Matthew. Was there some kind of logic you could follow? And I should confess, I've seen your incredible outline of the book and quickly realized the effort that it took. So I'm really just asking this on behalf of our listeners.
1: Yeah, I tried, again, like I said, try to divide the book into its natural divisions so it'd be easier to have 30 to 40 minute sermons and lessons and when I did that, I, you know, the one way for, that was easy for me to remember all of the natural divisions of the book, that like the, the, the peaks of the book, if you will. I came up with 14 subdivisions of the book. The, the portrayal of our majestic savior, the precepts of our majestic savior, then the power of our majestic savior. And then that follows up with the proclamation of his kingdom, the program of his kingdom the parable and the peculiarities and the predictions of his kingdom. Then I went back to to our Majestic Savior, talking about the prescriptions of our Majestic Savior and then the passion of our Majestic Savior and his pronouncements. And then toward the end, we did the prophecies of our Majestic Savior, the purpose of our Majestic Savior, and the preeminence of our Majestic Savior. And as, as you can tell, it took me a long time to come up with all of those pieces, <laughs> Just to... To make sense for me. Uh, the point in, in, in the alliteration there was to, to make it easier for me to remember where I was in the book so that, obviously, the congregation wouldn't get lost in the context. Because the, the, the story is not chronological, so it's easy to get lost and confused in the Gospel of Matthew if you're, if you're thinking of following a chronological story. And
0: many of our listeners will know that Each of the four Gospels has its own perspective or take on the life of Christ. What is Matthew's take on Jesus,
1: and how does it relate to his audience? The major theme is that Matthew is presenting Christ as the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited king who would reign forever, and we have several evidences of that. Uh, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament more than any of the other gospel writers because he is writing to a jewish audience and his jewish audience uh christian jews needed to to be affirmed that um that jesus is their messiah and if there were any jews there reading the book that were not yet christians they would know for for a fact that jesus is the long-awaited messiah so the the royal aspect of the life of christ is um highlighted in the book. So that's the major theme that Jesus is presented as a king, the king of the Jews.
0: But there were other themes that appeared in the book. One of those, and perhaps
1: an unexpected focus, is forgiveness. Yeah, both in uh, propositional truth that Jesus is teaching and also in an example. We as believers have been forgiven by God, and for some reason, we tend to struggle with forgiving others. And the Gospel of Matthew is so clear, and Jesus is so clear when he talks about restoring a relationship. When when a, a brother or a sister sins against you, you go to that person. And then Peter's famous question to jesus more of a challenge to jesus and jesus said using that figure of speech with numbers saying 70 times seven basically as often as necessary as often as someone sins against you and what i personally learned from this is that we as believers have no permission from god to withhold forgiveness from from each other from a brother in christ or even from someone who's not a believer we are commanded by god to forgive our offender because if we don't, we're not being like Christ. We're not imitating the man we follow. We claim to follow because Jesus forgave us. And, uh, we, we must forgive our offenders, even when we don't feel like it, when we don't feel it's time or when we want to wait until we feel like it. No, we, we have the command to forgive. And that was very eye opening to me. And, To the congregation as well, Well, I received some comments after that particular sermon that I preached on those words of Jesus to Peter, how impactful they were. Not because obviously not because they were my words, but because I was quoting the words of Christ in in uh, instructing believers to to forgive. And again, it's such a a noble thing to forgive. It's such a a high calling. It's it's spiritual virtue, really. Because we're imitating Christ when we forgive our offenders. So yeah, I, I, you know, came under conviction too that I realized there were people I needed to forgive and people that I needed to seek forgiveness from. So I, it, to me personally, that one section of the book was really, really meaningful. And another feature of Matthew is a fairly
0: detailed discussion of the end times from Jesus himself, which we usually associate only with the book of Revelation,
1: but it's here too. Yeah, that's in the Olivet Discourse, chapters 25 through 20 through the end of 26. Jesus gives basically a timeline of things that are going to happen during the end times. Uh, we, there are information there about tribulation like there's never been tribulation before. He gives information about the judgment of the nations, too, at the end, where the separation between sheep and the goats. So when we went over that and we went also, uh, we looked at the book of Revelation, uh, you, you can, we can come up with a timeline of the end times there and events that are going to take place that are confirmed in, in the book of Revelation, for example. And it gives us hope because God gives us a little bit of information of what's going to happen at the end so that we can know for sure our final destiny. Although there are not a lot of details personally for every believer, we know exactly what's going to happen to his church, where he's going to take his church. Uh, And it was just uh, affirming and it was great to know, to review information about the end times because we had just gone over the book of Revelation and a few years before we started the gospel of matthew and obviously when we talk about the end times stuff people tend to associate current events so we had the opportunity to clarify some of those and look at the present from the perspective of a god who exists outside of time you know he we live day to day but uh, the bible says that god not only knows the end from the beginning he lives outside he transcends time so to understand God's perspective on the history of the world when we study history being written in advance was, was very interesting and caused us to grow as a church. One of the surprises for me came during your preaching through the Olivet Discourse because
0: you mentioned that the rapture, when believers are taken up to meet the Lord in the air, which we believe happens just before the start of the tribulation, you said the rapture doesn't appear in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41 say, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. That's clearly in the context of Christ's second coming, I learned after your preaching, different from the rapture, and speaking of judgment. But I had associated that with the old Larry Norman song from the late 60s and 70s, which was called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Because he talks about two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. So, in an example of your humble spirit and eagerness to get it right, you and I double checked our theology and discovered indeed you were correct. And the orthodox view of the Olivet Discourse is actually that the rapture is not mentioned.
1: Well, yeah, we, I think we all have preconceived ideas of things we've, you know, we've always heard. Or, or from songs, but it it doesn't hurt to double check. In fact, I think if we want to be, like the Bible says, noble Bereans, we should double check and, and make sure that what we're understanding matches what scripture says. And, um, yeah, we didn't find the rapture being mentioned in the, all of it, this course, although Jesus is clear about what's going to happen during the time right after the rapture of the church. Yeah, the rapture doesn't, is not mentioned there in that particular portion of the Bible we have to go to first Thessalonians 4 to understand the details of the rapture there but yeah going going back to double checking scripture is something we always should do uh, and if I if, and if our understanding of scripture is not matching the text then we have to adjust and it was good for for all of us together as a church to to make sure that we're getting everything right. Well, I I appreciate you taking my question seriously, because it
0: just affirmed to me that you're a very godly man and a diligent preacher. But there's another event in the book of Matthew that caught a few people off guard, and I'm referring to the story in Matthew 18 of Jesus and the little children, where Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if a millstone was tied around his neck and he'd be thrown into the sea. Now, that's a common but- poor paraphrase of that passage, but it's often taken very literally, and I guess we would say too literally, to prove that God takes the harm of innocent children very seriously, and those that would hurt children have to answer to God. But there's a broader sense of what Jesus is talking about there, right? Children are his way of referring to his
1: adopted children, or believers, correct? Yeah, I'd have to go back to that sermon to remember exactly how I worded it, but often the the illustration of children that Jesus uses is as a picture of believers. Uh, Obviously, he includes children in there too, but yeah, so that speaks to his commitment to protect and, and preserve believers, his love for believers. Although we will go through tribulation and persecution here in this earth, Jesus is committed to protecting us. He loves us, and when he's referring to my little children, and again, we have to look at the context and the context will tell us whether he's referring to literal children or as a metaphor for all of the believers. But I, I remember in one of those, those two sermons, I believe, that I talked about that, uh, we, we concluded from the context that he was referring to believers in general using the picture of children because we are little ones, according to God. We're not a big deal. Uh, we, we, We are people that are the object of his love. And this last
0: clarification, so to speak, came up near the end of the book. But you and I hear people talking about the gift of evangelism all the time. In fact, we tried to find a spiritual gifts inventory to give to our people here trying to discern their spiritual gifts, and we couldn't find a single one that didn't include evangelism in the list of gifts. But this confuses Paul's reference to the office of evangelism. And also, I think we found this offers convenient cover for believers that, understandably, are nervous about sharing the gospel with their family and friends.
1: Yeah, a lot of people tell me that they don't have the gift of evangelism, therefore, they're not going to share Christ with their neighbors or family members because they, they feel like they don't have this gift. And I often go to the Great Commission passages, not only in Matthew, but the other Gospels to record the Great Commission there. But Matthew's version of that is so clear that he's directing believers. And there is no such thing as the gift of evangelism. You will not find that in the Bible. Now, in the book of Ephesians, you will find the evangelist that is someone that has the Responsibility of teaching others to do evangelism. Not to do all of the evangelism, but to teach the flock on how to do it. In a lot of churches, the senior pastor has that role just because the church doesn't have the luxury of having many people on staff. But um, it was, again, reassuring to learn that God expects every believer to share Christ with others, not just someone supposedly who has the gift or the elite or the CEO team of the church who will go and and do all of the evangelism. So what we learned from this when we went over that passage is that God expects every believer to share Christ. So if you're a believer in Christ, you are commanded by the Great Commission, by Jesus himself, to go and make disciples of every nation. So it it is not your job individually to win the world for Christ, but it is your job to do everything you can to be involved in uh, world evangelism, and and why not start with uh, your neighbors? You know, we don't have to go across the ocean necessarily to go share Christ with someone, but we can just go across the street and start from there.
0: You've written several books now that encapsulate some of your other sermon series. There was the book of Revelation, Unveiling God's Plan for Humanity, and Ruth, The Kindness of God, both of which are available on the Truth With Grace website, I might add, What have you done so far with the Matthew series?
1: Yeah, so, so far, we've been able to produce a book titled Kingdom Parables, 12 Signposts to Guide You Through Turbulent Times. And what this is, is really a 12-week study that features the good news, really, that Jesus commissioned us to proclaim. It really unfolds the Kingdom Parables in Matthew 13 as a roadmap that will lead believers uh, to joy during a moment of crisis during turbulent times, and we are living in turbulent times. We have been in turbulent times really since uh, since the beginning of the Church Age. My goal was to take what I've preached and packaged into a book format and make it available for people as a a resource. And you have helped us with uh, the other books too. So this is our project, not just my project. Well, I appreciate every opportunity I get to
0: work with you and extend the reach of your preaching. God's word and your work to teach us from his word are worth the effort. And in fact, that brings me to my next question. There's a great weight that falls on the shoulders of anyone that preaches God's word and cares about God's opinion of the preaching. So what part of Matthew was hardest to preach or maybe
1: hardest for you to get clear in your own mind so you could explain it? I think the toughest parts to preach are the ones that confront really clearly the listeners. And Jesus said a lot of those words in the Gospel of Matthew. In his discourses, for example, the the woes to the Pharisees, you know, woe to you, he kept saying, and his confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. Those are hard to preach in a sense that I need to match his intensity in confronting, uh, you know, heresy, confronting bad theology. And as a pastor and a preacher, uh, we we, want to be peacemakers, not troublemakers, (laughs) But if we want to be faithful to the word of God, we have to preach the text and, and we have to match the tone of the text. And when Jesus used confrontational words, we have to match that intensity, match that confrontational style. But obviously uh, our intention is to do with, with grace and kindness and with clarity. So from a personal standpoint, the, the toughest parts to preach were the ones that uh, required me to to use confrontational tone.
0: Looking back over three years, are there any lessons from Matthew that really impacted your own life? And how has God used his word
1: through this series? Yes, right in the beginning, of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, before and I'm paraphrasing here, before you worship me, make sure you get reconciled, I realized as believers in Christ, we do not have the option of failing to reconcile relationships. We must do that before we worship God. And, uh you know, in our that's so unpopular in our culture today. And it was confrontational to me, too. It confronted my own notions that I don't have, I have to make things right before Sunday. Saturday night is, is my deadline to make sure uh, I have peace with all men as far as it depends on you, like the Bible says. So I, I need to make sure that I have not uh offended anyone uh, unnecessarily, of course, and that I don't have any unresolved conflict with anyone uh, because I wanted to make sure that I'm right with God before I go and worship. So that was one lesson from the the Sermon on the Mount that really had an impact on me right in the beginning of that series. And then when we covered forgiveness also, it was self-confrontational to me to realize, man, I I don't have God's permission to withhold forgiveness from anyone, so I need to practice what I preach. So from that day on, I've I always been, I've been asking God to search my heart and make sure that there is no unforgiveness there, um, and that, that's been a great exercise for me.
0: Pastor, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, and I know our listeners appreciate getting to hear your thoughts on this great first gospel, the book of Matthew. We have many more books of the Bible to cover and we'll start our next book next week. So I hope everyone will be back to follow along. For now, I want to thank all of our supporters that pray for us and give to the ministry. Your partnership means so much to Pastor and I and we thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. As always, if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by mail at Grace Baptist Church. 4197 State Street, Salem, Oregon, 97301. That's Grace Baptist Church, 4197 State Street, Salem, Oregon, 97301. Or you can email us. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. You can also visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church And this media ministry. And as I mentioned earlier, the books we produced from Pastor's Sermon Series are available on our website. The Book of Revelation, Unveiling God's Plan for Humanity, is a fascinating study from the Book of Revelation. If you've wondered how this all ends, you'll find the answers in God's Word, and Pastor's book will help guide you through the imagery, symbolism, and straightforward timeline that we call the end times. Ruth and the Kindness of God reminds us of God's providence and God's amazing personal care for His children. It will comfort anyone that feels like life has been particularly hard or unfair and revive your hope in the God that personally extends His love to us throughout all of the events of our life. And Pastor's latest book from the Gospel of Matthew is called Kingdom Parables, 12 Signposts to Guide You in Turbulent Times. I don't know of anyone that would argue that we aren't living through challenging times, but global pandemics, cultural crisis, economic distress, and even personal tragedy aren't ever too much for God to manage and you to find His purpose for your life. All of these books are available now, so get your copies today. And in case you're wondering, all of the proceeds go right back into Truth With Grace and its media ministries. It's just another way to support our mission of spreading the gospel around the world this broadcast has provided to you at no cost through the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of truth with grace please feel free to share it but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of grace baptist church until next time this is truth with grace